Hey, gorgeous friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again here today. I have another episode for you today in my series about the core concepts of positive intelligence. So if you've missed some of my recent episodes regarding sort of the fundamental concepts of this coaching modality that I just absolutely love, please go back and take a listen to episodes 63 and 65, especially 63, because that is my episode about sort of the basic premise of our brain having two different regions, one being the sage, which is that wise, forward-thinking part of our brain that really allows us to be creative, empathetic, solve problems, take action, and it operates with our highest good in mind and always from a place of love and positive emotion versus the other regions of our brain, which can be described as the saboteur regions, the sort of primitive regions, the biological hardwiring, the parts that create all of our negative thought patterns and therefore our negative emotions, and the parts that sometimes drive us forward, but always with a little bit of yuckiness because they are basically causing us to take action towards goals, but from a place of negative emotion. And arguably, that's never as effective as when you take action towards goals from a place of positive emotion. So if you've missed episode 63, especially, and also 65, go back and check those out and then come back to me here. Because what we're talking about today are some of these saboteur thinking patterns. In the work of positive intelligence, which is a heavily researched modality of coaching, there is this sort of division of the primitive part of our brain, the saboteur regions of our brain, into 10 different saboteurs. And what these saboteurs are, are kind of cute little personifications of thinking patterns that we all have. And by creating these personifications and these descriptions of these thinking patterns, it helps us have a little bit of distance from the way that our brain operates so that we can see that these are just thinking patterns that we have. They aren't actually us and they aren't actually true. And so that'll become a little bit more clear as I go through some of the examples. So positive intelligence describes 10 saboteurs. One of them is the judge, which is the master saboteur. So we all have a judge. And you can think of the judge in some ways as the voice of your inner critic. It's that voice that is always sort of finding what's wrong with all of the things that you're doing. But it's also the voice too that finds fault in what other people are doing and even in the circumstances of your life. So that judge is that thinking pattern and that voice that basically tells you that you're doing everything wrong, the people around you are doing everything wrong, and that the circumstances of your life are just terrible and wrong and that you're at the effect of them. And so this judge saboteur is sort of that master saboteur that we all experience pretty much on a daily basis, whether we're aware of it or not. And it's something that really creates a lot of feelings of guilt, shame, and regret that we experience. And this judge activates accomplice saboteurs. And so that's what we're going to get into next is three out of the nine accomplice saboteurs. And again, these are sort of these little personifications and descriptions of thinking patterns of our brain. So we all have all nine of the accomplice saboteurs. It's just that we each have them in sort of varying degrees. And so there is a quiz on the Positive Intelligence website. I will link it in the show notes of this episode. If you haven't taken it already, I highly encourage you to go do that. 
And if you want to send me a screenshot of your results, I'm more than happy to have a little email or DM chat with you about maybe what some of it means, answer any questions that you have, etc. So go take that quiz and find out what your top saboteurs are because we all have all of them, but usually we'll have three that are the most dominant, which really means that we sort of have three out of these nine thinking patterns that our brain kind of defaults to. And these saboteur patterns are something that form early on in our lives. They're basically formed as a result of some, you know, innate properties of how our brain works and our personality and who we are, but they also develop in response to things that go on in our childhoods. And even if you have the most sort of picture perfect childhood, when you are little, you are constantly on the lookout for how you can stay safe and fit in with your caregivers. It feels really scary as a child to face the prospect of maybe not being able to fit in with your caregivers because of our biological hardwiring that says we must fit into the group in order to not be excluded and then, you know, die out in the wilderness on our own. So as little kids, even with perfect childhoods, which probably none of us really had, but even with the you know least traumatic, least dramatic childhood that you can think of, your little kid brain was still worried about your survival and worried about how to fit in with the people that were in charge of taking care of you. And so based on the way that your caregivers interacted with you and, you know, certain things in your environment and your experience, your brain sort of latched on to certain ways of thinking that were designed only to keep you safe. And so I'll give you some examples of this that'll be a little bit more clear as we go through three out of these nine accomplice saboteurs today. And just for fun, we're going to go with my three top saboteurs. I'm just going to put them right out there for all of you guys to know. And, you know, if you know me in person, you probably won't be surprised by what my top saboteurs are. Okay, so let's get into it. So my top, one of my top saboteurs is the hyperachiever. And, you know, I want to make a side note here that if you know anything about the Enneagram, which is sort of a personality um, assessment, these saboteurs, these nine accomplices actually correlate with Enneagram numbers, which is crazy. And we can get into that, you know, offline, or maybe I'll do a podcast on it eventually. I don't know, but I am an Enneagram type three, if you know what that means. And that actually corresponds to having a really high hyperachiever saboteur. And so this hyperachiever saboteur is really the part of my brain that depends on like constant achievement in order to feel validated and worthy. So the hyperachiever causes you to always strive for achievement and accomplishment because you think that being liked and loved and fitting in with anybody, especially your family when you're young, is dependent on the degree of your external success. And, you know, that can be great in a way, right? And this is a really important point to make about saboteurs. Their shadow side is this saboteur you know, aspect that doesn't actually serve you, but they also do often represent some of your greatest gifts. So I do have the gift of being high achieving and being able to take action and succeed. And that's amazing. But on the shadow side of it 
it's this part of me that drives me constantly forward to achieve more because of sort of a deep-seated belief that maybe I'm not good enough or worthy if I'm not achieving. And so when I reflect on my childhood, which was very non-dramatic and I have amazing parents, but when I reflect on like why might it be true that I've developed a really strong hyperachiever saboteur, well, part of it's probably just innate to who I am, but it was probably also really fostered by my parents who, you know, with no bad intention at all, really praised me for accomplishments. They praised me for academic achievement or for being good at things or for, you know, being um, good in general and for fitting in. And so there was this sort of um, subconscious learning that happened for me as a child that, Hey, like if you get good grades, if you excel at things, if you're accomplishing and achieving and doing everything right, then you will be validated. You will be praised. And the childhood brain then takes that as like, okay, I better do that in order to not somehow be like ostracized from my family, which of course, you know, probably would have never happened, but our childhood brains subconsciously do not know that. So this hyperachiever is like really competitive. It can cause people to be very conscious of like image and status. It creates a situation where you can really kind of cover up your insecurities and show a positive um, image, even, you know, when you have a bunch of like crappy stuff going on inside. Um, People with a high hyperachiever are often really adaptable, like we can chameleon our personalities a little bit (laughs) to sort of um, impress other people. Um, And that really goal-oriented focus and ability to achieve sort of sometimes flips over into like a workaholic tendency. Um, And so some of the thoughts that the hyperachiever might offer, and so check in with yourself about whether you have thoughts like this on a regular basis. And you might have to spend a little bit of time sort of diving in to see like what kind of thoughts you subconsciously have, because a lot of these are really under the surface. Um, Or they just might seem obvious and true, like, oh yeah, I have that thought, but that's just because it's the truth. But I want you to really question that. Like none of it is the truth. They're literally just optional thoughts that you're having and they're being offered to you by the saboteur regions of your brain in an attempt to keep you safe and keep you successful. So some of the sneaky thoughts that you might have if you have a strong hyperachiever like I do are things like, I must be the best at what I do. If I can't be the best, I won't even bother. I really need to be efficient and effective. Um, It can be, you know, positive sounding thoughts too. Like I can be anything I want to be, which sounds great, except sometimes there's like a little darkness to that of like, I must strive to be everything or to be the best at everything. Um, And there's definitely an underlying belief that as long as I'm successful and other people think well of me, then I'm worthy, then I'm good enough. And so those types of thoughts really sort of generate feelings of like anxiety, maybe even emptiness and sort of going through the motions of achievement without actually really caring that much about the achievement itself. There can also be sort of a fear of being vulnerable and expressing like some of the more difficult emotions that we have, because again, there is this sort of need and drive to focus on the public perception of us. Um, And really like the main lie that the hyperachiever saboteur tells us 
And again, this could be just like something that you think is true (laughs) if you have a high hyperachiever, but the sort of underlying lie or belief that it offers is that life is about achieving and producing results. And if you're not doing that, then somehow you're not doing it right. And that, you know, aside from just achieving, you need other people to recognize your achievements. And so the way that this hyperachiever can can impact your life in a negative way is that you never really feel satisfied with anything that you do. You might get a little bit of a bump of dopamine when you accomplish something, but then very quickly that goes away and you're on to the next thing. You're constantly reaching for something else. You're constantly looking for the next success in order to feel validated and accepted, even within yourself. And then that can sometimes hinder your ability to really connect with the deeper feelings that you have or with other people because you always have a little bit of a facade in place because you're so conscious of that public image and being validated externally. And so, and then of course, you know, you might have a workaholic tendency where you're always trying to achieve something else. And that can, of course, hinder your relationships, your work-life balance, your ability to sort of you know, enjoy and relax and rest, that hyperachiever tendency to work, 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 even though in a way it feels really good, it can also detract from your well-being overall. And so my hyperachiever is really strong. And what I do with her is I just really recognize when her voice is in my head. Um, It can be really fun to sort of give your saboteurs names, like names of people or something like that. Um, For example, like my um, judge, my overall master saboteur, I have a name for her. And I don't want to say what it is (laughs) in case it's your name, because, you know, I don't want anyone to be sad about whether my judge or any of my saboteurs have your actual name. But I characterize my judge as like this really kind of snobby, um, critical voice She's, you know, just really negative, like, ew, you're stupid. That's dumb. I can't believe you did that. She has that kind of a vibe. Um, But your judge and your saboteurs probably have different sort of energies than mine do. The author of Positive Intelligence and the CEO that sort of designed and researched so much of the program is Shirzad Shamin. And in his work, he describes his judge as the executioner. And it's like a very scary, um, mean, demeaning voice. And so, what you can do with your judge and all of your saboteurs is really start to sort of picture like who they are, even what they look like, give them a name, um, describe to yourself and get really clear on sort of their characteristics and their energy. And then when you hear the thoughts in your head that are coming from each particular saboteur, you can almost make it like a game and it almost becomes funny or fun. And you're like, oh, there she is again. That's my hyperachiever. She's like talking all her nonsense about how I better, you know, accomplish something else or else I'm not worthy. And then you can create a little distance like, oh, that's so funny. Like there she is talking shit about my level of, of achievement. And I can see that th- those are her thoughts. Those are saboteur thoughts. They're lies. They're not even true. And they're definitely not useful to me. So the whole point of identifying these saboteurs and really personifying them is so that you can create distance from them. And you can see that what they're saying are just thoughts, they're optional, and you don't actually have to listen. 
And the thoughts that your saboteurs offer are really not in your best interest. Now, of course, they are trying to keep you safe by, you know, either driving you to achieve or do whatever else that they do, but their help is misguided. They're not actually your friend. They're not actually needed in order for you to live the life that you want. That can be tricky, right? Because I can be like really tied to my hyperachiever and I can have the belief like, oh my gosh, well, if I'm not like whipping myself into achieving and accomplishing more and more, then I'll probably just be lazy and I'll do nothing at all. But that's not actually true. The level of achievement that you create or the level of happiness, the level of contentment, the level of anything that you create when you're being driven by saboteurs is always much less than what you can actually create when you come from the sage perspective. And again, more on the sage perspective is in those other episodes of the podcast, 63 and 65. So if you need to go refresh on those, go for it. Okay. So the second accomplice saboteur that we're going to talk about today, which is another one of my high ones is the stickler. (laughs) And that sounds like exactly what it is. The stickler is that perfectionistic tendency that some of us have. Probably a lot of you listening to this have a high stickler and probably a high hyperachiever too. So the stickler is the, is the thinking pattern of your brain that really emphasizes perfection and a need for order and organization. Again, you can see that there is a gift in that, right? There is a strength in that being organized, being able to, you know, keep everything in a really methodical, um, you know, logical fashion is definitely helpful and is definitely a strength, but it can tip over into this sort of shadow side of saboteur. And so the stickler saboteur is the one that can be really like irritable with chaos, that can be really critical of itself and of other people. It really wants things to follow a certain pattern. It has a lot of righteousness about like, this is the right way to do this and everything else must be the wrong way. It can also be really sensitive to criticism because the stickler has a belief that its way is the right way. And so if that comes into question, um, it can be really sensitive and almost offended by that. So some of the thoughts that you might be having if you have a strong stickler are, if you can't do it perfectly, don't even bother doing it. Other people are lazy and their standards are just subpar right is right, wrong is wrong. And I know the right way to do things. There is no other way. Mistakes are a huge problem. I hate mistakes. In order for anything to get done, I must be the most organized and methodical that I can be. And I need to be more organized and methodical than anyone else so that I can make sure that the things get done. Some of the feelings that those thoughts might generate are things like constant frustration and disappointment because the stickler is creating such high standards that really like most humans cannot 100% meet. And so it's basically a setup for feeling frustrated or feeling disappointed because you or anyone around you just really can't live up to the high standards that the stickler sets. There can be some anxiety that either you'll mess something up or that other people will come in and mess up this perfect balance and order that you've created. And there can be a lot of sort of suppressed anger um, and judgment of the people around you because you just really think that they're doing it wrong. It's this overall sense of righteousness in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so some of the, the beliefs and the lies that the stickler tells you are things like perfectionism is the goal and it makes me feel better about myself. I'm not worthy if I'm not perfect. 
there's always a clear right and way, right way and wrong way to do things. And I know how they should be done. So it really has to be done my way. And so notice if you have those kind of beliefs and you just think they're like, yeah, duh, that's the truth. Like I do it right. There's one way to do it. If you catch yourself thinking that likely the likelihood is that you have a high stickler and just notice those are thoughts that your stickler is generating that saboteur region of your brain. It's based on patterns that you've acquired and developed over the course of your lifetime, especially during childhood. And it's something that you don't actually have to listen to or believe. You can create some distance. And when you hear those thoughts come into your head that like my way is the right way and there is no other way. And all these people are silly for even thinking there's another way. You can be like, oh, hey, it's my stickler. (laughs) You can give her or him a name. You can sort of get a clear image in your mind of who that stickler is, what they look like, what their energy is. And when the thoughts come in, you can just notice and recognize, oh, that's my stickler acting up again, offering their opinion. And I don't necessarily need to listen if it doesn't serve me. Okay. And then the third accomplice saboteur that we're going to talk about today is of course, my other, um, top three most dominant saboteur. And I bet a lot of you guys have this one too. (laughs) So it is the controller. And so the controller is the saboteur thinking pattern that has this need to take charge and be in control of situations because it fears that if it's not in charge, something bad will happen. So it's really this need to control that's based on anxiety. Sometimes I think we lose sight of like people who display controlling behaviors. We might think that they're just like, you know, forceful or like overly dominant or whatever, but really underlying that sort of control is usually anxiety. So the controller has this really strong need to be in charge of things. And it can be um, sort of this side of you that like really pushes you to always be dominant in things. It can be a really competitive, confrontational part of you. Um, It can be this side of you that like pushes other people around you to do more and more and more and to do things in the way that you want them to. Um, it's a saboteur that's really stimulated through and connects through conflict. And so that controller might like to fight a little bit (laughs) and it might like to argue and it wants to be right. And it wants to like win the argument and it's really into that in a way. And then it can almost be surprised that like the other person in the situation actually gets hurt by the type of conflict that you've been having. This controller can be really intimidating and it can be super impatient with other people. And so some of the thoughts that the controller might be offering you if you have a high one are things like if I work hard and if I'm in control of the situation, then everything will work out okay. Or it might be something like others need me to take control. I'm doing them a favor by being in control. It could be something like nobody tells me what to do. It could be something as benign sounding as I'm either in control or out of control. That doesn't sound that bad, right? But if you have a strong belief that you're either in control or out of control, that might indicate that you have this strong controller that feels the need to always be in control because being out of control sounds pretty scary, right? And so some of the feelings that this controller saboteur can generate are, of course, that anxiety about things 
not working out the way you want them to if you're not in charge. There can be a lot of anger and frustration when other people aren't following your lead. There can be impatience when other people have maybe like different feelings or styles. There is always this underlying anxiety and also like there could be hurt or a fear, a feeling of rejection, but the controller won't really let you admit to those things. And the main lie that your controller saboteur will tell you is without me, you can't get anything done. You need to push yourself and you need to push people and you need to be in control or you're going to get controlled and that's not okay. And so if you have a strong controller and you notice that some of these thoughts are really sort of your underlying belief system, you can give your controller a name, a personality, a vibe, the energy, the characteristics. And then when those thoughts creep in, you can really recognize, oh, that's just my controller trying to offer me some thoughts in an attempt to keep me on the right track, but I see that it's not actually helpful. This is another one. I mean, all three of my top three are ones that, you know, they can just like seem so helpful and we can get really tied to them and we don't want to let them go because we think that they are what drives us forward. Um, You know, my controller will tell me the lie that like, I can't be okay and the situation won't turn out okay and nothing will be okay unless I'm in charge of it. Like no one can do it as well as I can. And, you know, there's this little like um, sort of desire to hang on to that because it seems really scary to let go of it and to admit that like maybe I don't have to be in charge of things all the time. For me, my controller really comes out when I don't feel safe in any way. And I mean, I don't really mean physical safety because I'm luckily rarely to never um, in a situation of feeling physically unsafe. But like if I feel emotionally unsafe, if I don't feel supported or seen or acknowledged, and maybe some of that's my hyperachiever too, that like really wants acknowledgement. But if I don't feel that, my default will be this controlling side. My default will be to take charge. I definitely saw that in my first marriage, especially like when my first husband really um, sort of had almost like a learned helplessness about just lots of things like basic tasks, but also like emotional presence. When that wasn't there, I was like, okay, subconsciously, of course, I was like, okay, I better be in charge of this because everything feels chaotic. He's not taking charge. He's not leading. So I guess I have to. And I really learned a pattern of taking charge of things through my relationship with him. And then when I was a single mom, um, I definitely like felt the need to be in control of things to like create some kind of order to things. And of course, some of that was to, you know, my benefit because I could like get my shit together and go through all the things I needed to go through and maintain my household and keep my kids going and do all the things that were required. But it also really had a shadow of me sort of reinforcing this thinking pattern that like, if I'm not in control, then nobody's in control. And while that drives me forward and part of me wants to hold on to that, I can see when I step back that it really doesn't serve me as much as being in my sage perspective would. Same thing for the hyperachiever who tells me that I need it in order to accomplish anything and otherwise I'll be lazy. And same thing with my stickler that tells me like, hey, this is how we make things perfect and without me, nothing will be perfect and that's bad. So with all of our saboteurs, we really want to start to identify them and name them and recognize when the thoughts in our head are being generated by them. And then we can take a deep breath. 
We can do some PQ reps like I taught you in episode 63. We can ground ourselves back into our body and then shift our brain activity into the sage regions of our brain. And from there, we can really take effective action and create everything that we were creating with our saboteurs and more because we're creating it from a place of love and our best interest versus the sort of negative energy and emotions of the saboteurs. So I highly recommend that you go to the positive intelligence website, which is linked in the show notes of this episode. And you take the quiz and you figure out what your top saboteurs are. I'll be having a couple more episodes where I will describe the other six accomplice saboteurs. So if I didn't get to your top three today, no worries, we will. Um, But it's just so interesting. It's such a great tool, I think, for self-awareness and for mindset management. I love to have a million different tools in the toolbox for coaching and my own you know, personal development and that of my clients. And this is a big one that I think is really, really helpful. So go take that quiz, go take the assessment, send me a screenshot of your results if you want to have a little chat about your top saboteurs and what to do with that. And I can't wait to talk to you in next week's episode. Have a phenomenal week and take care.